I am the man that has seen affliction by the rod of God's wrath. I remember my affliction and my wandering. The bitterness and the gall, I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Welcome to the Broken Book Podcast. We're your hosts, Amanda and Sam. And we're ready again this week to appreciate, dissect, criticize, defend, and generally nerd out about the Bible. All right, next question. And this is a little bit of a longer question. I value concepts like reformed and always reforming, and God alone is a lord of the conscience. Not not because I just don't want to be challenged, but because I see them as ways for the spirit to move. But by continually reforming, are we getting further from some ideal Christianity found in biblical times? Or is that how the spirit works to respond to current circumstances? Whew, great question. So we're totally biased because we also very much are pro-reformed and reforming and being open to new ideas and new ways and reinterpretations and deconstructions and all of that. But my biggest response to this question is that I don't think there ever was some ideal unified Christianity in biblical times. Maybe the closest thing is immediately after the Roman Empire sort of took on Christianity, you know, when they were writing the the creeds and deciding on the books that would be part of the Bible. I I guess you could say it was unified then, but also it wasn't because, you know, the people who didn't agree with the things that got decided on were the heretics. And then you also have folks who were like, hey, we probably shouldn't actually be letting an empire own our religion that's about how God actually cares about people on the margins, because that doesn't really make sense. And how, you know, the the most powerful should be serving the least powerful. That really doesn't agree with empire at all. So I'm gonna go off here in the desert and get some perspective on all this. And I don't want to be part of this Christian empire thing. You also have active, vibrant churches growing up in Ethiopia and India, which are very far away from the Roman Empire and are developing very unique and very different theologies. Right, right. Yeah, the it's like we, we have this idea that there was this moment where, you know, everyone came together and decided that the Trinity was a thing and precisely how God was 100% man and 100% God. A lot of people did come to those, but some people went away still disagreeing with the thing that was like decided on as the orthodox view. And those people have spiritual descendants to this day who have churches that believe different things from these, you know, sort of primal, primal things that we think, you know, all Christians would agree on. And I think that that's good because I don't think it, I don't think it would be good if our if there was some sort of totally unified Christianity because that that wouldn't make sense because the Bible isn't unified. The Bible is continually arguing with itself. The um, Sam can speak to this better than I can, but there's there's various editors 
uh, particularly of the first five books of the Bible that, you know, there's there's some older tradition that was written down originally and then someone else comes through and sort of makes some edits and changes and adds things and then someone else comes through and like changes things up a little bit again and reinterprets things a little bit here and there. And, you know, you have these various books that were sort of like written in response to each other, you know, throughout the Bible if you look at the Jewish tradition, they went and totally continued this um, with the Talmud, which is just sort of like this continuation of this like argument, basically. It's this like very detailed, layered, um, various rabbis throughout history have, you know, argued their points with other rabbis who were alive at the same time as them. And then later rabbis sort of argued, you know, with each other and also with the previous rabbis. And, you know, it just, it's this huge, like, multi-layered argument. And, I mean, I think the fact that the the Jewish Talmud works that way is, is evidence of the fact that, you know, frankly, that's, that's sort of what the Bible is as well. Uh, this question says, you know, is this the way that the spirit works to respond to current circumstances? And... I don't think that there was like some ideal church or some ideal point in history when people had it all figured out and now we need to be open to how the spirit, what the spirit, how, how to apply that, you know, sort of ideal state to our current circumstances. I don't think that at all. I think that <laughs> we're, we're always in a state of learning to understand what is goodness and what is love better and and ho hopefully we're not regressing hopefully we're learning it better and better hopefully we have some ideas and some ability to live in a way that is more loving and more compassionate than people did in biblical times though sometimes sometimes we clearly fall short those are my thoughts so i guess i'm going to take this question from a different direction is i think its central premise is wrong that we are getting farther and farther away from the bible I think the exact opposite is true. I think with modern historical criticism and modern postmodern readings that we have actually gotten much closer to the original text. We now understand much more what the authors were trying to say. And I think by breaking out of Platonic and Imperial interpretations of scripture, we have gotten much closer to the origins of what these people are trying to say. Also, I think that theology has really collapsed among itself. It used to be that a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people believed in this classical theistic deity, a very impersonal, perfect, all-powerful entity, and that conception of God simply is not found in scripture. Now that we are no longer chained to classical theism, we can approach the text with fresh eyes and really listen to what it's trying to say. I think we see a lot of this in process theology, which has a very responsive God, who in almost every respect more resembles the Yahweh of the Old Testament than anything you would ever find in the Middle Ages or the Reformation era. So don't let time fool you. We keep on discovering new things about the original context of the Bible, and that brings us closer to the ancient world. Hmm. Yeah, in in a lot of ways, the uh, pre-modern and post-modern have more in common with each other than they do with the modern. Both the post-modern and the pre-modern value the personal interactions more than the modern does. Mm -hmm. Also, both value the land more. 
Both value identity more. Both value conversation more. Modernism is so caught up in the individual and in technology and in all this stuff that's going to save us somehow. And then, you know, in postmodernism, we're like, well, didn't save us, actually. <laughs> Let's get back to what we were doing before. <laughs> but in a more nuanced, in a more multifaceted way. In a more biblical way. Ah. I don't just see the Bible as being like archetypical thought or just interesting ancient curiosity. I think there are many ways that the Bible is a wiser text than our modern words of wisdom. Ready for the next question? Yep. What is the most toxic Christian doctrine? Pretty basic here is anything that can ever be used to justify genocide. <laughs> and I recognize my extreme privilege in living in a situation where my religious beliefs or my skin color or my heritage will not get me killed, probably. In fact, certainly won't. But I am a huge heretic, and I publicly broadcast my heresy, my heresy from Orthodox Christianity, and there was a time period where that would get me burned at the stake. I don't like doctrines that burn people at stakes. As far as the kind of doctrines that I see in my day-to-day -day life, even in progressive circles, I'm scared of conceptions of God which are too powerful, especially anything that hints at God being just identical to reality or God being totally omnipotent and in charge of everything. Because the entire, it just takes out the entire plot line of the Bible. The Old Testament, God is fighting against injustice. In the New Testament, Satan is an extremely powerful and antithetical force to God. God may be victorious, but God is not in control of everything. God is trying to liberate. And having a God that liberates is, that is the gospel message. That is at the center of everything. And if God is in absolute control, God has nothing to liberate us from. Hmm. If we want God to save, we want God to have something to save us from. We don't want God just to be saving us from God. That's, that's a rather circular and somewhat narcissistic conception of the deity. Not to mention that it also means that God was the thing that was wrong to begin with. Yikes. So what do you think the most toxic Christian doctrine is? This isn't like the name of one official Christian doctrine, but I would say dualism. So this idea that there is good and evil, that there's male and female, that there's body and there's soul, there's darkness and there's light, there's order and there's chaos, you know, making these categories that are so, that are, that are supposed to be opposite of each other and that are supposed to be sort of things either fit into one category or the other. I think has been incredibly problematic um, and incredibly oppressive and incredibly toxic for so many people. I was picking up the, the male and the female thing, you know, just having these, having these dualisms, people associate and connect these dualisms to each other. So you have, you know, if you're going to have one dualism that's good and evil, and you have another one that's male and female, well then... Which one matches up with which? And of course, you know, good is male and evil is female. Good is soul, bad is body. So female is body and evil 
and darkness and chaos and maleness is good and bot and and a soul and light and order and yeah this is just so toxic this is where so much of the oppression of women comes from this whole like darkness and light thing like has a lot of really strong racial or at least like skin color overtones even the idea that there's like good and there's evil like there's good people and there's evil people i think is highly highly problematic and highly suspect it gives us an excuse to dehumanize people we disagree with right the us is good the other is evil right and we we see this everywhere in all of our stories you know you have lord of the rings where it's you know the the elves and the men and the dwarves are good and the orcs are bad and when you frankly when you watch those movies the the elves and the men and the dwarves are white and the orcs and the urukai have a lot of stereotypically african features and that is not okay that we have this narrative of white and male is good and black and female is bad that is destructive and terrible and bad and it is all through christian theology anakin skywalker is voiced by a white actor darth vader is voiced by a black actor. oh yeah um a book that i uh let me actually get that book so i can say what the name of it is it's uh by thomas king it's called let me see if i can find it uh there's a there's a fabulous book sorry let me actually get seated then talk there's a fabulous book written by thomas king called the truth about stories and king is uh american indian and he talks about how white people have this idea of fighting evil you know the good guys have to go out and fight the evil and he describes how from his from his heritage the wisdom that he's gained from indigenous stories is that the idea of fighting evil is crazy and i just have to sit with that for a bit like fighting evil is crazy why is fighting evil crazy isn't evil bad shouldn't we try and get rid of evil and i th- i just think that's a fascinating idea fighting evil is crazy what do you what do you do with evil then if you don't fight it i think that's a question we have to ask Maybe fighting evil is not the only good way of dealing with evil. Maybe fighting evil is an unhealthy way of dealing with evil. To go back to the Sermon on the Mount, the way you handle evil is by loving it. Right. Just loving the people. Right. And there's a notion that the oppressors are oppressed by sin. What if fighting evil will turn you into evil? I think there's a danger of losing your goodness by fighting evil, by fighting. I think a lot of this kind of comes down to how we make everything so personalized and kind of libertarian, is that sin is now something we do, not something we are oppressed by. And sin is not expressive. Sin is oppressive. Mm. We are born into sin. We are trapped by sin. We are possessed by sin. So we should never maybe we should fight evil i'm not sure i agree with traditions that say that's crazy but we shouldn't fight evil people we fight the evil in people our opponent is not the human our opponent is the demonic what if instead of fighting evil this is something that my friend uh that one of my friends uh who's uh in science said she was saying um 
so many people are are saying that we need to fight cancer and there's you know there's all this research into how do we fight cancer and um she really wants to go into cancer research because what she wants to do is teach cancer do we need to fight evil what if we could teach evil what if we could love evil what if we could you know you know what i mean like it just seems like maybe we have more options a lot of the most hateful people aren't people who are too prideful but people who have too little pride mm. where you have to to use race as an example, you have to say you're better because of your skin tone, which suggests that you have pretty low self-esteem in yourself if you have to value that. We do not love ourselves enough. We do not love each other enough. We do not love our culture enough. So we make up bullshit reasons to claim superiority. I do think that the tradition of loving our enemies is something which I think progressive Christians need to teach out. Because it's actually, I think, something which sets progressive Christians a little bit apart from mainstream progressive culture, which can get a little too us versus them sometimes. Okay, your turn. Next qu- next question? All right. Cool. If you could make a movie about a book of the Bible, what book would you choose? Mm. Judges. That's been my answer for a while. Maybe I should rethink it, but I really want to see it. Uh, not a movie, because I think making movies from books is definitely not as good as making miniseries from books, now that oh, I've yeah. seen enough of them done. Definitely a miniseries on Judges. I want it. I want it now. <sighs> judges is just so, like, miniseries worthy. It's it's very, like, violent and wacky and Game of Thrones-ish. Like, I just think it would be so successful, you get, like, a couple of those stories in Sunday school, like, you get them, but they're, you get the really watered-down versions of them, but there's some really fascinating, weird things that happen in Judges. Did a time that that guy's dagger was swallowed up by his stomach? And he was left-handed? That's, like, that's great, like, I am not right-handed, you know, like, so good, so many good moments there. Uh... The, there's this really intense lady who, like, invited this enemy into her tent and gave him milk to drink and, like, sent him to bed. And then when he was asleep, she took a tent pole and pounded through his head into the ground. If you read the text, though, it's obsessed with the milk part. Oh, yeah. Like, the murder is almost an afterthought, and it spends verse upon verse talking about the beverage choices. <laughs> it's... Gotta love hospitality-based cultures. Yeah, there's this there's this horrifying part at the end of... I mean, the whole book of Judges is like one tragedy after another. I mean, there's there's some there's some happy moments too, I guess, if you're the Israelites. But it, it sort of comes to a head at the at toward the end of the book. The people of Israel decide that the entire tribe of Benjamin, which is one twelfth of their population, has become so horrible that they can't be allowed to go on existing. And so <laughs> they like cast lots and according to the according to their, you know, rolling these dice or whatever, it says that, you know, God wants them to destroy the entire tribe of Benjamin. And so these people are like murdering this their brothers basically, this whole entire group of them. Uh and it's this horrible tragedy and then there's this super crazy weird part where some of the Benjaminites survive and then they're like oh oh no we said we like we want them to be able to get married and have kids and stuff but we said we wouldn't marry our daughters to them so then they're like okay what we'll do is we'll have a festival 
and we'll like let them steal our daughters and not stop them from stealing our daughters when they're dancing but we won't give them our daughters as it's just wacky weird strange creepy badass stuff that i feel like is would just be much better portrayed as a mini series than in the book of judges well i think my answer would also need to be a tv show kind of a netflix show on the book of daniel oh yeah good one think about what the plot of the book of daniel is a refugee sleep therapist takes over an empire using prophecy. Oh my gosh, that totally sounds like a miniseries. That's Hannibal meets Game of Thrones. Meets like one of those detective shows. Like it's it's a little bit like a uh, uh what's what's that what's that show where there's that guy that like pretends to to be a psychic? Is it called Psychic? Psyched. Yeah, it's like Psyched. psyched. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think there's a lot of comic potential. You have these glorious characters like Darius and Belshazzar. You got the lions. I, I, I've always think that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego should be a comedy trio. Um, and then you have chances to bring in other characters from that era. Like you can have Ezekiel and Isaiah show up. Um, Ooh. Ooh. That, that could be cool. It's set during the exile. So you can also help explore and explain the amazing theological traditions that are developing during that time. Mm. And, frankly, some great CGI potential. Yes, definitely. Um, you get to really do those dreams and visions justice. Daniel is a great example of an incredibly creepy protagonist. Oh? He's confident, self-secure. Why Daniel is creepy? Why is he creepy? I don't want Daniel to be creepy. He turns kings insane for a few years to prove a point. He is torturing these individuals by interpreting their dreams. But at the same time, he's doing it in the service of his people over against Empire. That doesn't seem that creepy to me. I don't know. Maybe it's creepy. Well, creepy if done well. Oh. Creepy like good creepy. Like intense. It's like almost a horror movie except you're rooting for the monsters. Okay, yes, yes, I can get behind that. Yes, that that would be excellent. I also think that a story of a refugee taking on empires just right now. Also, sleep therapists. Just gotta love them. Great, great television prospects there. I I totally agree. Uh, So, next question. Okay, this is a really good question. I mean, they're all really good questions. Is it offensive to apply the same historical critical techniques that have clarified how we see the Bible to other religious texts like the Quran? Um, I mean, to an extent, I think historians can do it and do it appropriately. For the most part, I say let's keep our hands off. The Quran is not the same kind of text as the Bible. It is a sacred text, but it does not have the same historical tradition. It was written in a much shorter period of time by a much smaller number of authors, and the Quran plays a very different role in Islamic theology than the Bible plays in Christian theology. That's largely because the Quran is very self-aware about the fact that that it's divinely revealed. Mm. The Bible is not that self-aware. I mean, something that people say a lot is the Quran plays the role in Islam that Jesus plays in Christianity. Ah. It is not simply a book, and we should not make the mistake of thinking that the Quran is the Muslim Bible. It is not. He is the Muslim Logos. 
Also, to be honest, Zikron just is not as problematic as the Bible. It should be approached differently. If there is going to be a historical critical tradition of the Quran, I would say that I would much prefer it to come from the Islamic community, not from the Western community. And moving on from the Quran, you have books like the Talmud or Tao Te Ching, Bhagavad Gita. None of these resemble the Bible very closely. And it would do a disservice to each of these traditions to try to read it the way we read the Bible. It is not our business to deconstruct and reconstruct other cultures' texts. We should listen to other cultures and see what they have to say about their religious tradition. We should not enter into someone else's religious tradition and tell them how they should interpret it. I think that kind of modern intercultural interfaith dialogue often becomes a mechanism for cultural appropriation. And we should be extremely wary of that. We do not have a right to take ownership of these texts. And deconstruction is a way of taking ownership. Yeah. I think if you have a Muslim background, if you if you have a connection to the Muslim faith yourself, um, I think that's totally different. But yeah, if you're if you're more coming from a Western background or a Christian upbringing, I totally agree with Sam. I don't think it makes sense for you to be sort of deconstructing the Quran. Also, I don't. I'm definitely not an expert on the Quran. I've not read the whole Quran, and I I haven't talked with a Muslim person about this question. But my impression is that there are some enough similarities um, between Islam and Christianity that some there there's probably some similarities to how Christians feel about the Bible and how Muslims feel about the Quran, which obviously it's not exactly the same as Sam just said, but some Christians feel horrified uh, that people use historical critical techniques on the Bible and they don't like it. Some Christians, haven't are not familiar with these sort of historical critical techniques and find them intriguing and want to learn more. And some Christians are using these techniques already in the way that they interpret the Bible. And I I would assume that there is to some extent there are there are Muslims who do not would not ever want to apply that sort of criticism to the Quran. There's probably other Muslims who maybe hear about this and are sort of like intrigued and might be interested in doing some of that work. And there's probably other Muslims who are already working on on doing historical criticism on the Quran, though it, it, it is definitely the historical criticism techniques that were used with the Bible, uh, I'm sure have to be adjusted and refigured out, especially based on what Sam just said about the Quran being a different type of book than the Bible. There have been some attempts to apply historical criticism to the Quran that have tried to show that it evolved over a long period of time. And many of those attempts have actually collapsed. And the more people study the Quran, the more it actually seems like it was written during the time about of the Prophet Muhammad by basically a singular author. So in some ways, trying to read the Quran like the Bible might hugely misinterpret what the Quran actually is. And it might discredit prophet muhammad in a way that we just have no business to do Hmm. especially given current cultural tensions cool so ready for the next question yeah ready for the next question 
Okay, here is our final question. Do you think it's fair to say that the U.S. is the new Roman Empire? How does that change how we read scripture? In short, yes, definitely. <laughs> I think so. I think we're I think we're direct descendants of the Roman Empire. You have you have the Roman Empire centered in Rome. At some point, the Roman Empire sort of merges um, with Christianity. At some point, the center of like at some point you sort of have this split between like East and West. And so there, I guess there, there's definitely like the Constantinople or uh, like sort of Roman Orthodox branch of the Roman Empire. But but in terms of the Roman Empire in Europe, I mean, so then you have the Pope in Rome and uh, just all of the influence that that the Pope had throughout Europe through the Middle Ages. Like I, I sort of think Christianity, uh, Western Christianity inherited the Roman Empire in a lot of ways. And then when when the West started becoming these imperial powers and started going to these other places and forcing other people to be their colonies and just started deciding to like take land from other people, like that is totally Roman Empire all over again. And then yeah, as as the US uh, grew in power, I mean we we did exactly the same thing. So I think in some ways, I don't know if the, I don't know whether the U.S. like is the Roman Empire, but I think the U.S. is like a direct descendant of the Roman Empire. What are your thoughts, Sam? Well, in kind of biblical perspective is, is Jesus always stands on the margins against what is powerful. That means that in the context of Judaism, he stands against the priests who try to use purity to make themselves better than everyone else. In the context of Rome, he stands against the wealthy who use money to make themselves say they're better than anyone else, or national pride and heritage is a way to be better than anyone else. So the trick is we need to look at what Americans use to say that they are better than anyone else and combat that. If we think it's because of our exceptionalism, we need to combat that. If it's because of our race, we need to stand against that. If it's because we simply represent the truth, we need to stand against that. We need to affirm the dignity, humanity, and humility of every single group. But a slight caution, going back to what we were saying earlier, is the true emperor is Satan, is sin, is the oppressive power of corruption. So when we say we stand against empire, that does not mean we stand against Americans. We stand for Americans against the concept of America. And we love America to the extent that America can be something beautiful and gospelish. Hmm. We love America so much that we stand against what America could do to oppress. And while the Bible is incredibly critical of Rome, it is very charitable to a lot of Roman characters. Mm-hmm. In fact, the Bible doesn't show really any bias against Romans, because Romans aren't the problem. Rome is the problem. There's a really great quote from a book that I'm reading that I want to find. Give me a sec. Okay. So this is, this is a quote from On the Mystery by Catherine Keller. Um, and in it, she quotes James Baldwin. So James Baldwin says, To be Afro-American or an American Black 
is to be in the situation, intolerably exaggerated, of all those who have ever found themselves part of a civilization uh, which they could in no wise honorably defend, which they were compelled indeed endlessly to attack and condemn, and who yet spoke out of the most passionate love, hoping to make the kingdom new, to make it honorable and worthy of life. And what Catherine Keller says in response to that is, to love a civilization shaped by white racism as a strategy of hope, to make the kingdom new, to make it honorable and worthy of life, does this, rather than some dishonorable surrender to the intolerable, not illustrate what Jesus had in mind with love of the enemy? I'm, I'm going to kind of give a lived example of this. Is We are, you know, progressives in America right now are often up against Southern culture and Appalachian values and often rural culture. It's kind of the liberal versus conservative battle lines. Something we need to stop doing is undervaluing rural culture. Yes. We have this weird tendency of mocking rednecks. For being rural. We hate country music, even though it's very narrative and often very beautiful. We make fun of rural cooking styles. If we're going to be in a culture war, then the first thing we need to do is start loving the cultures we're fighting up against. And there is so much to love about the diversity of Southern culture and Appalachian culture and mm. rural culture. We should celebrate these traditions to help raise the love and raise the pride that we should all have for what we are. Mm. People become proud of the fact they're white because they're not proud of who they are. So we should make people as prideful as possible about the right things. I am the man that has seen affliction by the rod of God's wrath. I remember my affliction and my wandering. The bitterness and the gall, I well remember them. And my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Why should the living complain when punished for their sins? Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven and say, We have sinned and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. You have covered yourself with anger and pursued us. You have slain without pity. You have covered yourself with clouds that no prayer can get through. You have made a scum and refuse among the nations. All our enemies have opened their mouths wide against us. We have suffered terror and pitfalls, ruin and destruction. Streams of tears flow from my eyes because my people are destroyed. My eyes will flow unceasingly without relief until the Lord looks down from heaven and sees. <laughs>